0: Welcome to Split, the After Ever After podcast. We're here along with other experts and real people with real stories to help you navigate life after separation. Whether you're newly separated or divorced and co-parenting, listen now for tips and advice on how to build a foundation for a more peaceful future. Our guest in this episode is Matthew Pfeiffer. He is a speaker, coach, and trainer focusing on toxic relationships, emotional abuse, trauma, and our topic today, narcissism. If you follow Jennifer or I on Instagram, you've likely seen us reshare his TikToks Uh, in the past. He's got just about half a million followers now and is definitely one of my favorite TikTokers. Uh, He also has his own podcast, which is Toxic to Triumph, which you should certainly check out as well. We were really excited to speak with Matthew about narcissism because it is a word that seems to be used uh, quite a bit these days in the digital space, and it seems as though people are pretty quick to diagnose their ex or another family member with narcissistic personality disorder, and that can be problematic for a variety of reasons, and the reality is that it's actually a very small percentage of people who are truly medically diagnosed with this disorder. So Matt will be explaining what narcissism is, uh, steps to take if you are preparing to leave a relationship with a narcissist, what you can expect through that process, how to help protect yourself and your children, and then uh, in closing, just some steps that you can take to begin healing from the narcissistic trauma or abuse. So listen in and uh, if you have any questions, there is a link in the show notes to leave a voice message uh, or you can send us a DM via Instagram. Thanks. Enjoy. I am fangirling so hard right now. You have been uh, one of my all-time favorite TikTokers for a long time. And it's just so exciting to see like your growth in your audience because your content is so important and so valuable. And TikTok's such a cool platform because it's, I mean, it's a place where you can discuss these really heavy topics in short clips that make it very digestible mm-hmm for the viewer
1: well it's a natural fit for me because um at least right now I'm undiagnosed but the chances are is that I have ADHD and so it fits me naturally um I've always been kind of a space cadet and always in La La Land and so um now I'm able to actually put it on screen for people and so it works it works out really well for both me and TikTok
2: I'm always fascinated with how you get these music and video clips and stuff to mesh with such high-level Oh, they're perfect, thoughts, right? yeah. Like, they're so, like, do you watch, like, what is your process when you're watching things, you're always, like, thinking? Do you see the clips first, or you think of a concept and then you find a clip to match? A little bit
1: of everything. I see, you know, if you actually went through my TikTok, I have, um, I have a lot of things that are just saved, and I just... This sound sounds really cool. It sounds unique. I think I could use it later Sometimes I might find I might hear something and I know exactly what I'm gonna do And then there's times where I'll just kind of sit on it Um, Sometimes I might have an idea of what I want to present. I have have notes upon notes upon notes um, literally all over the place Um, Pulling up a notepad as we speak. This is just one of them notes upon notes Um, and I mean that that right there is just pages and pages and then I have a um, what is it called this is another place where I take notes sometimes um, okay awesome sometimes even during session while I'm working with people I'm writing things down um, because someone will say something and if I notice that a theme is coming up and you know let's say three people in a row keep bringing something up then I just know that's something that needs to be hit Um, and then it just kind of magically comes together, I guess.
2: Yeah, they're really great. I, I usually, and my routine is in the mornings, I'll get my coffee and I'll go through my sort of feed. I see you more on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I've had a couple, like, spit takes because I might yeah. uh, I may have some narcissists in my life and yeah. in my practice as well. And it's crazy, like, how dead on it is sometimes, like, so dead on people's behavior. So it's very entertaining. Well,
1: thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean, you seem to know like exactly how people with this disorder think and act. Um, how did you come to this area of, of specialty in, in your work as a therapist? Well,
1: after my first job right out of school, was I was um, an addictions therapist. And, um, if, and for a lot of people, a lot of people don't know this, but Um, the same area of the brain that deals with addiction deals with, uh, deals with narcissism, deals with codependency and that sort of thing. And so, um, I had to deal with narcissists literally one-on-one and they had to deal with me. Um, so it was like, um, what's the saying? You have to drink water from a fire hydrant or a fire hose or something something on those lines. And so they were court mandated to come see me and that, uh, I, I didn't realize at the time that I was going to be heading into, uh, into this type of work. I've always wanted, my goal was always to work with relationships, that was always a given. Uh, even when I was working in addictions, I always knew, I wanted know, that was the whole reason why I went to school, was to become a, a uh, marriage and family therapist. Then things kind of started to take life on its own. I, I went through this myself on multiple different levels. And as I kind of started healing myself, I started recognizing uh toxic and narcissistic behavior and a lot of different people that that uh were in my own personal life and and things just kind of grew and and really what took off was um i was doing a podcast for someone else and i was on a regular i was on there regularly and one day the the topic was toxic relationships and uh that podcast went viral and then that's when i was like Maybe I need to actually do something about this and actually make this kind of go deeper into this niche. I would talk about it if it came up with people, but I never really focused locked down in on it. And so um they invited me back to talk about it again and it went viral. Another one went viral, and so I, I was like, let me let me dive into this a little bit deeper and see see where we go with it. And then several years later, here we are. Mm-hmm.
2: So in your practice now, do people predominantly come to you when there is uh, someone with uh, a narcissistic personality disorder in in play there, or?
1: Yeah, that's a great majority. Um, I deal with people who are in it and are considering leaving, and don't know how to leave because, uh, as many people know, leaving a narcissist is extremely difficult. Not only mentally and emotionally, but uh, they create. A lot of enmeshment to make they know immediately before you even before you even realize what is going on they've already created so much enmeshment that they know that if you ever leave i'm going to wipe out the bank account or i'm going to withhold the children i'm going to smear your name they have a plan in place already and so for a lot of people that puts a lot of fear into them knowing that they even if they don't know what they're going to do they Intuitively know something bad is going to happen. Uh, yeah. so uh, I work with a lot of people on that Um work a lot of people with, with recovery people who've already left and they're struggling out with healing uh, co-parenting and um, That's a that's primarily what I do But I also have some with some focus groups that have people who are in it and are still Trying to figure it out trying to piece together. Am I really with the narcissist? Is this salvageable? Um, Codependent uh, people who are struggling with codependency and people-pleasing, so uh, pretty much anything along those lines.
2: So what would you say um, to people who are, like some of those main points, if someone is in a relationship with uh, someone with NPD and wants to leave, what do you see in situations that go better? They probably don't ever go super well, but go better than, and maybe what are some mistakes that people make?
1: Planning. 100% 100% number one, um, and you can't have enough planning, um, in mm-hmm. planning and involving other people like lawyers, support system. Mm-hmm. I have a face of a Facebook support group called wounded healers. Um, so you, so when you're talking to people, you're talking to not just friends and family, but you're talking to people who get it and who understand who aren't saying the typical things like relationships, are uh, hard work they're actually acknowledging yes this is abuse you do need to get out i've been there i've done that this doesn't get better and uh, because the narcissist part of going back to that enmeshment period they've circled in your family and your friends oftentimes and your world i tell people that their world they do a really good job of shrinking a very big world down to to making it feel like it's very small like everyone's against you Uh, and then once you start breaking out of that world. Uh, And you start incorporating people who are not, not involved in that world whatsoever. You start to realize that the world starts becoming, becoming big again. You start developing a support support system and network. And uh, so planning, um, planning, growing, growing the, um, making that that expanding that world out to being big again. Uh, Then and then actually execute, executing right, starting to unwind a lot of the enmeshment. Um, where people typically go wrong is when they, when they, I I call it giving the narcissist way too much credit. They'll do things like, Hey, let's sit down and talk about the divorce, right? Right. With no plan in place, nowhere to go, not knowing what to do. They haven't talked to a lawyer. And what happens is going back to what I was talking about, the enmeshment. That's when the narcissist that's the most dangerous time period is when you're leaving and when Mm -hmm. in if you don't have a plan in place and if you tell them that you're planning on leaving watch out Um, because you will 100% see the worst side of them. There's no limit to what they will and won't do. Um, If this is someone who who has sociopathic tendencies, it can physically get dangerous Um, and. You know, they, this is where you hear stories of them wiping out the bank account, leaving with kid, leaving with the children, slashing tires. It gets extremely dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. It's already dangerous anyway, but when you have a plan in place, I tell people to have, come up with two plans: a plan A and a plan B. Uh, one might take a little bit longer, right? Because you're just now discovering. You have to talk to the lawyer. You have to have papers served. You have to find an apartment. You have to, especially if you've been financially abused, you might need to save money, you might need to put yeah. things away and um, but you always need a plan B as well. That you're talking with your friends and family that uh, if uh, if things hit the fan that you're leaving that night with closing your back with your kids, your, you know, whatever your mo- most important things. That's the other thing. Um, putting away your important documents, saving those somewhere where you can grab them at the drop of a hat if you need to. Or a lot of people will just have them saved outside of the home where they can, they can go retrieve them when they need to. Uh, because narcissists will hold on to them. And if you leave, you're not getting those back. Um, they, mm-hmm. Because they want to cause and create what's called post-discard abuse. And so uh, they're going to make it as difficult and as harmful and as painful as they possibly can. So uh, I tell people that you you know you're not getting out of the relationship unscathed. Um, but the, but putting a plan in place, you can minimize the scathing as much as you possibly can.
0: Right. Yeah. And I love how real you are about this on social media. Um, and in your podcast as well, you are straight up, you know, this is going to be a challenging time, quite possibly one of the biggest challenges you'll ever be faced with, but me personally, like if I know something, it's much better. I can, I can then tackle it. I can get the supports in place and get in touch with the resources. Um, so I really like how you don't sugarcoat it one bit. I think that's really important. Um, and also if we, everything you just said there, thank you. I know that's going to be so valuable to a lot of our listeners, but just to backtrack because, um, you know, narcissism is, coming up a lot Mm -hmm. on social media and in podcasts. Can, can you just as a professional actually define, um, you know, NPD versus someone who may, may just be selfish or have, um, maybe acting narcissistically. Can you make the distinction there?
1: Yeah. One of the easiest, I like to break it down. I don't like getting into the clinical terms and to the criteria because, um, I mean, even clinicians sometimes have a difficult time discovering what narcissism actually is. And so the, but the, some of the main features that I tell people to look for is that they do not respect boundaries. So you, every relationship, all relationships, every single healthy relationship has to have boundaries, healthy Mm -hmm. people respect boundaries. Um, and when you have, when you're with someone that doesn't respect boundaries, they don't respect you. Number two, um, they don't take responsibility or accountability for anything that they do. Some of the things that I, uh, when someone's trying to figure things out, I'll ask them, when's the last time you and them had a disagreement and things actually went your way or you guys found some sort of compromise in the middle? And quite often the answer, even if they've been together for 10, 20, 30 years is never. Or or, um, I remember one or two times but there was a punishment that happened right after,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. right? So uh, when you start hearing those type of dynamics, we're, we're talking about something uh, completely different. Um, the other thing is I'd tell people to listen to their body, that feeling of walking on eggshells. When your body keeps score the entire time, you might be confused about the relationship. You might even be scared to leave the relationship. Your body knows. Right. Quite often it knew way early on, but because going back to codependency and people-pleasing behavior because you didn't validate your feelings in the first handful of weeks and months and you just kept going and going, your body, your body just kept on taking tally like I'm telling you I don't like this person, I don't like them. And that walking on eggshells feeling you're, it lets me know that your body is, wants you out and you're you know it's, it's a part of cognitive dissonance where the where the other person where you, you know you should leave but something is holding you back either the enmeshment, the fear you know what but your body doesn't want you to stay there the other thing is um i tell people that it's very much like uh, if if i were to compare i, I i'm and people are surprised when i tell them i'm not even really big into the title or diagnosis of narcissism uh, what I'm actually big into is the behavior and one of the biggest things I tell people <clears throat> is if you're in the relationship, it, it, if you're in any relationship, really, it should be, it, all relationships fight healthy. relationships And what, what confuses people is that when you're in a relationship a toxic relationship, you're only thinking about the good times and you're working really hard to get it back to the good dates, the good sex, the, the nice vacations. And when you look at those things they look exactly the same way that healthy relationships do you're like oh this is what my my aunt and uncle do this is what you know this is just how yeah. our relationships are mm-hmm. but that's not the definition of a healthy or toxic relationship you have to look at when times are not so good that's the definition right. of what your relationship actually is so i always compare it to karate kid you, th- you think of daniel russo who yes he fights he does karate within the confines of the rules i'm not trying to hurt you i'm doing this for a sport with respect Mm -hmm. with i'm fighting with honor right and within the confines of the tournament things like that but you think of his his adversary the the cobra kai it was strike first strike hard no mercy right and they would they, they wanted to win at any cost right even if they broke the rules it didn't matter if they broke his ribs it didn't matter if they bullied him at school That part didn't matter as long as they won, because it had nothing to do with honor, respect. Had, they had, they had complete disrespect of their opponent. Right. And as long as they win, that's all that mattered. And that's Mm -hmm. what it's like with being a narcissist.
0: That is a really great way of describing that. I've never considered it that way, but that really makes a lot of sense. Um, so. I mean, we've talked a little bit about leaving, um, getting a basically a safety plan in place, which I think is really great, and then touched a little bit on co-parenting. I mean, is co-parenting even possible in this situation or is it, you know, you, you absolutely have to go to parallel parenting? What's your take on that?
1: absolutely have to go to parallel parenting, Uh, you have to stay low contact, that's for several, several reasons. Even if they stay involved with the children, they're only involved with the children uh, to incite punishment and control over you. Um, Which obviously makes it very difficult because legally, you know, and people oftentimes in court try really hard to get a narcissistic diagnosis. And I tell people, even if you have a diagnosis, there's, you still have a problem. There's another part of my background I forgot to share. Uh, I used to be a, um, when I was going through school, I was a liaison between CPS and the court system. So I saw this over and over and over again. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, they, what people, what people think will happen in court if you get a, a clinical diagnosis of narcissism is that the judge is gonna say like, oh, aha, you know now we're, now we can keep kids away from them that will never ever happen
2: even yeah. if, even
1: if you get that clinical diagnosis I don't care if it's a psych- a psychologist at that part I don't care because people with a mental illness still have rights and that's the only thing that the court really yeah. actually cares about is the rights of the of the parent and the rights of the kid of the child so you still have to so the only thing that you have to do is to prove behavior if they're Highly abusive, highly phys- physically abusive. Then obviously they're going to uh, take a sh- very strong look at that. Um, but what happens is that in court, it's they look at disagreeable versus unacceptable. It, you know, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of parents, when they are fighting with the narcissists, they make a mistake by saying, you know, well, uh, they keep them up late at night. The courts doesn't care. Don't care. Right? Yeah. Uh, they feed them ice cream for breakfast. Don't care right but when we start getting into the physical abuse obviously that is that's uh, unacceptable that sort yeah. of thing so um but I kind of got off topic but but when we're parallel parenting with with them we have to understand that um that the court system won't remove them completely so when that, when you have that that uh the not the parental plan the decree The decree while you're in court, you need to lock that thing down tight because what a lot of of times what people do is they try to meet the narcissist in the middle and they try to compromise with them. And again, I take them back to the beginning. When did you, when did, were you ever able to successfully compromise with the narcissist? Right. So, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, what that looks like is that, you know, no, we're not, you know, even if we are 50 50, we're not going to. Uh one of the things that narcissists will do is they'll try to uh exchange the kids like every other day. I've seen that multiple times instead of like one week on, one week off, or you know, why would they want to do that? Because again, it's not about the kids, it's about them checking on you. They want all the exchanges at your place. They want they still want their the name on the home.
2: While they you're want in court,
1: control. Exactly. While you're in court, you want to your whole goal is to unwind all the enmeshment. You want severe lines cut. They're responsible for this. I'm responsible for that. Um, We need to know that that one person is the decision maker when it comes to uh, doctor's visits, things like that. Um, And we want to make sure that we know our rights um, after court is done. And the reason why it's, it's so important is because when we, when we circle back to parallel parenting, if that decree is fuzzy, if it is like loosey goosey, what a lot of people say, um, it becomes very problematic because going back to court is a problem. Because yeah. now, now, if you if you don't have those clear-cut boundaries, that's I mean, really, that's what court's about is setting and enforcing boundaries. If you don't have have that clear-cut, you can, you don't really have a leg to stand on when you go mm-hmm. back to court if you need to go back to court. And so, right. um, you know, I tell people to remain low contact. You know, there's no need to, you want to treat the narcissist like, um, instead of like your former best friend that you were married to, you want to treat them not, uh, you want to treat them like a coworker, like a, like yeah. a, like a business partner, but not, not just,
2: business partner. Yeah.
1: not just a business partner, but a business partner or a coworker who's trying to get you fired.
0: Right. <laughs> Interesting. And, yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So when you think of it that way, You're going to if if someone's trying to get you fired you're going to be very careful you're going to be very vague of every single email that comes in you're going to read it you're going to be careful with it you're not going to you know if you know they're trying to get you fired if they're pressing your buttons you're not going to uh cuss them out because you know what they're going to try to do and Mm -hmm. it's literally the same exact thing with parallel parenting
2: So when you're saying that um, narcissists typically like they're they just want um, the parenting to them is really just to incite punishment over or control over you. Mm -hmm. Um, When you see people that are doing the parallel parenting well, doing the whole sort of gray rock thing where they're not giving a lot of information. Does the narcissistic parent often kind of lose interest in the kids and not end up Taking them as much as they could, and that sort of thing. If it's not getting them the supply that they want,
1: sometimes it can go either way. You have some okay. narcissists that will back off, that won't do anything. You have, um, you know, and, the, and sometimes they'll even say, "If I can't have you, then there's no, then the, there's no point for the kids." Then you have yeah. others, other narcissists who will use, who will now turn to the kids and use them as uh, flying monkeys and. You know, get them to report back and uh, you'll have them sending messages through the kids and um, they'll incite punishment to the kids because they know that it will bother you turning off phones, not returning them on time, not returning backpacks, um, you know, just trying to doing everything they can, can to make it as difficult as they possibly can.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what do you recommend? And actually um, to all of our listeners, if you're in this experience, I strongly recommend you listen to Matthew's uh, podcast, Toxic to Triumph. And I'll link it in the show notes because you have a really great episode on this specifically. But um, like, how do you empower your kids in a way that doesn't put you in a position to be accused of like parental alienation yourself? Um, like, especially if your kids are older and you can have a conversation with them, what do you recommend?
1: Number one, you never want to put your feelings of the parents onto the child.
0: Yeah. For Mm -hmm. example,
1: for a lot of people, they're trying to get validation and they'll say like, you know, your parent, you know, the other parent cheated on me. They, you know, they did all these horrible things. Here's what you have to understand. The child does not care if you've been cheated on that might be a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. But the problem is that they've never been married before. A lot of them may not have had a boyfriend or girlfriend. They don't understand the devastation. They don't understand how that feels. One thing they've ever been told is share your toys. And they're like, okay, well, it's <laughs> yeah. a big deal <laughs> yeah. right now. When, but on the flip side, when the narcissist has done something to them, very big difference. And you're going to, they may not have ever expressed anything while you and the narcissist were together because they've never experienced anything different. When you separate and they now begin to start experiencing freedom, you're going to start to see them open up and you're going to start to hear them saying things like the narcissist called me this or said this. Why do they always do this? Why do they always When I'm on the phone with them, how come they never ask me about me? They're always asking me about you and they start to pick up on the behavior. Mm-hmm. This is when you start to talk to them and you don't valid, you don't look to validate your feelings by telling them all the horrible things they did to you, you start mm-hmm. to validate their feelings. This is their world. They're going through the same experience that you are, but their version of it. And so, mm-hmm. as that happens, you start to validate their feelings, you start to, and you're not, you're not um, alienating and you're, you're also not talking crap about the other parent, you're validating feelings. When, um, you know, I, um, uh, there was someone, one example I can think of, there was a, uh, there was someone I was working with that, um, their son was called the P word, um, by the father and, uh, just came home and was obviously very upset. And so after working through, after understanding this, the mother. Yes, you know, said, you know, that, that's terrible. That sounds, that sounds awful. I, I can't, you know, and because no one, and he immediately started crying, you know? And like, yeah, he always says stuff like that to me. And then, so now we're starting to get to, to the root issue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With him, yeah. right. That, you know, cause <clears throat> in the past, this, this particular mother tried, you know, um, your father cheated on me. Your father did this. Your father did that the son didn't care didn't understand, right? But this, he gets it. That's his experience. That, that's his, those are his feelings. That's his validation. So now, you know, when you start to experience this and when they're experiencing it and you're validating, those blinders begin to start coming off of them.
0: The divorce journey can bring with it an emotional roller coaster of challenges. Whether you are navigating co parenting, a high conflict ex, dating after divorce, or more in this new chapter, it's totally normal to feel overwhelmed and at times really lonely. That's why I'm excited to tell you all about Circles. Circles is an emotional support platform that connects you with a small group of others who are going through divorce in a safe online space. Guided by mental health professionals, Circles meet weekly in group video meetings and provide support in a 24-7 group chat. And guys, at $79 a month, that's less than the cost of a single therapy session. You don't have to go through this alone. Support is available. Head to circlesup.com and use promo code SPLIT2022 to get the first month free and join your circle today. And then, so yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then my other question would be, you know, when we talk about what's acceptable in the eyes of the court and what's not, I mean, that's, that is verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, your next step would be to document this, I guess. I'm always,
1: I'm always big on documentation and I always say, um, because every state is a little bit different when it comes to it yeah every state is different every um every guardian that light them every um you know every um child lawyer is going to be different every situation is going to be very different you know so i always have them you know and i I always check with the lawyer you know i have people check with the lawyer because they're the ones constructing the the argument and if you're uncomfortable with the the response that you're getting from your lawyer because not every lawyer has uh and not every lawyer knows what to do about these types of situations. I always tell people, talk to someone else, get two or mm-hmm. three opinions and, and see, you know, this is, this is the reason why I'm all, I'm, I'm a very big believer in expanding your world out and talking to and getting involved into like a support group, um, and just hearing what other people are going through, what they're doing about it, how they're handling it. Um, because something like that, like a, like if, if, if it's, You know, even one time like that is very, is terrible. But by the time you get through court with COVID, with, with everything going on, they may not look at it as that big of a deal, especially with other cases that they have where there's physical abuse and, um, you know, uh, on our end, of course, they're both one and the same, but in the eyes of court, oh, dad was pissed off. Oh, he must've been in, and and the narcissist would likely say something like that. this is also the reason why we want to involve a child therapist in situations like this too Um, especially Mm -hmm. if the emotional abuse is is very heavy because you now have another person that's uh, that's supportive another person that is going to reinforce uh some of the things that you're you're echoing and uh they'll have their own notes and if you need to have have therapist subpoenaed you know so be it but um you know there's 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 multiple options but every case is different and i tell people to um to always talk to uh talk to the lawyer as well
2: yeah i love that advice about the therapist i've been talking to some of my clients about that because it's win-win you're Mm -hmm. in the therapy and you're benefiting from the therapy but then like you said you've you've got those notes to back things up if they're going to give you a recommendation about where the child should be Mm -hmm. or what's going on yep there i mean i don't know what the laws are where you are at a certain age here in Ontario, too, we say, you know, they vote with their feet, too, mm-hmm. right? So kids, when they're getting older and older, they're going to be able to voice their own opinion and just stop going as much. Or... And,
1: this is, and, that, and that becomes very important. That's the reason why we want to validate their feelings. And it's a huge mistake to do what I call covering the sins of the narcissist, saying, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure she didn't mean it. Uh, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that's just how they love people. You know, you just have to give them a chance. No, validate their feelings. That was wrong. It's wrong to call your Mm -hmm. your son uh, the P word and uh, to do those things. And, you know, so call it for what it is because what your your ultimate goal is, is you want to plant seeds and keep watering, plant seeds and keep watering. And Mm -hmm. when they're old enough, yeah, you can, if this behavior continues, if you're not able to do something about it sooner and your child gets to a point where they're like, you know what, I'm sick of this, then you go back to court they tell their story and now instead of there being one incident you have multiple you have notes you have a child therapist it it makes the case real uh and you also yeah. have the child who is now let's just say 15 16 maybe even 17 years old who um they're they're gonna have they're gonna value that per that child's opinion at that point they can advocate for themselves
0: mm-hmm. at yeah. that point yeah yeah i just It's such a difficult situation because like in hearing what you're saying, I can see why so many people struggle to leave the relationship because although really you have no, you don't have a lot of control when you're in the relationship as the victim, it can still seem like you have more control when you're there and you can like oversee things or interject versus, you know, you're trying to parallel parent and- you're not there but when, you, to step but when in. you
1: when it comes to the child it's actually the opposite um mm-hmm. if you if mm-hmm. you have kids with the narcissist it is extremely important for you to leave because if you stay for the kids they never experience anything different so all they right. all they ever experience is is narcissistic abuse they don't know any different um, so they don't know, they just think that this is how life is supposed to be. What ultimately happens is that they end up sacrificing themselves to please the narcissist. When you leave, they actually experience freedom. And they're like, I like freedom. This feels good. Because kids learn about the world, by the world by the way that the world makes them feel. And so if you're, if they're away from the narcissist, you're like, wow, this, I feel like I can be myself. I can express myself. I can talk without being yelled at. I can do this. I, you know, and... Then they go back and they're like, this part I don't like. And so you're actually, in a lot of ways, even if it's 50-50, you're actually doing doing the child uh, a huge, huge favor.
2: Yeah, and I think that's part of what I love about a lot of your content. I think there's so many people that are struggling with leaving and I've noticed a lot of your content um, really hits the nail on the head with um, some of the spiritual abuse, Mm -hmm. like through churches, too, Mm -hmm. and the messaging that people get. And um, just that validation that you're doing the right thing uh, is so important to hear for people that are questioning themselves.
1: Yeah, spiritual abuse is huge. You know, not enough people talk about it. You know, and uh, it's just one more thing um, that narcissists will use to weaponize not only uh, a spouse, but um, also, um, you know, because they'll triangulate um, pastoral leadership as well. And sometimes you can actually have a codependent relationship with your church as well um, and find yourself in an abusive uh, church situation. Um, And, you know, even though I talk a lot from a Christian perspective, that just because I know the, you know, I just know the Bible a lot better than I do, like the Quran or anything like that. Um, it can happen in any any spiritual background. Because really, really, when it when it comes to cult-like behavior, really, um, that mirrors a covert narcissist. When it comes to um, cult-like behavior, they're you know they're just masking. They're using Christianity or Islam or whatever spiritual background as the mask, and uh, you know and but really using it to incite control
2: well there's this where i have experience with this as well so it's there's this thing where um i don't know what to call it but within the church um environment that we, this redemption mm-hmm. theory, right? So as soon as you have that narcissist, you know, crying mm-hmm. and praying and saying, I'm a changed person, it's you know, everyone's yay, this is yeah. why we're here, right? So, <laughs> yeah. But not understanding that, yeah, it's not the same mm-hmm. thing, it's
1: a facade. Nope, it's a facade and uh, it's, you know, it's really, you know, pastors who, pastors, preachers, any spiritual leader who is uh, not a narcissist? They're really doing uh, doing people a disservice by not talking about spiritual abuse. They're not talking about abuse. They're not empowering people to you know to possibly leave. Of course, you know you want to make sure you know you want to um, be there for people who really can work things out. But mm-hmm. divorce should be an option, it's not a black eye on the on the church the way that they think that it is. You, you really should be empowering yeah. people. You know to have to really look at their options and really um they need to be more informed about about abuse
2: i agree i think that's a big issue that i feel passionate about is that within the church just to go off a little tangent of giving stepping outside of what they're qualified Mm -hmm. to do right so giving marital advice or whatever and not not having any idea of Mm -hmm. mental health issues like this one Yeah. yeah
0: so i guess um you know kind of like in, in wrapping up our last question would be what steps can you take to begin healing mm-hmm. um from this relationship and also are there some things in your opinion that someone can do to ensure that they're not going to jump from one narcissistic relationship to another and repeat be uh,
1: number one by far you have to educate yourself um, and you also have to understand that you are, it is going to be hard. It's going to be a journey, not a destination. A lot of times I tell people, it's not like a broken arm where, you know, you're gonna sit and heal for six to eight weeks and then you're better. This is, this is more of like you're, you have to, you're on a new diet plan. And even once you have quote unquote healed, you still have to maintain the same way that if you mm-hmm. lost a hundred pounds, um, and you have new diet plan and you have a new trainer, just because you lost all that weight, that doesn't mean that you're done. You're now, your life is now a part, the gym is now a part of your life. Eating healthy yeah, no, is now a part of your life. And so, um, because the big problem here, when someone finds themselves in narcissistic relationships is that um, you know, you, they have a tough time setting and enforcing boundaries. They have a, it's, it's a self-love deficiency that they, that they have. Um, and when I tell people about self-love, it's about boundary setting boundaries, uh, not fearing conflict, but embracing conflict, um, not, um, not self-sabotaging yourself. And what happens is that it, it creates what's called, uh, there, there's a term called congruency and a term called incongruency. We all need for the world around us to match how we feel internally. And what happens is that if we feel bad about ourselves, then, yeah, there's a possibility that you'll end up with another narcissist or... I mean, and I tell people, it's not even about, once you're out and you, you start dating again, narcissism is the very bare minimum. That's just the way that someone treats you. You know, you that's wouldn't, nice. you would never go to a car dealership and say, hey, does this car start? You know, like that's the bare minimum. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, loving yourself, what happens is that you actually create um, what's called an incongruency that you, you know, that you start recognizing that the world around you doesn't match how you feel internally. So if you feel good about yourself, you're going to make the world around you better. You're going to date better people. You're not going to put up with people. You're going to recognize bad and toxic behavior a, a lot mm-hmm. easier, right? You're going to leave people who are who don't, um, don't support um, things that make you feel good. And so, um, so to to circle back the. Number one, educate yourself on narcissism. Understand it through and through. Keep going until you literally get sick of it. Right? You know it it that well. Especially if Mm -hmm. you... And and then you have to start looking at childhood wounds. Because this starts... What people find out after they've educated themselves is that this problem started long before you ever met the narcissist. Yeah. You were basically groomed to be with a narcissist. And until you figure that part of it out you are destined to repeat these same cycles with your friendships, with, your, with the narcissist, with, um, with, with your romantic partners, um, and, or you, you go into the opposite direction and you start to isolate yourself. And you kind of, you, you succumb to a complex post-traumatic stress disorder, right? CPTSD. And uh, you begin to isolate yourself, but people find out that isolating yourself, there's a study done, that isolating yourself is um the equivalent of smoking one pack of cigarettes per day and so wow. that part that part isn't healthy either yeah so a lot of people make a mistake of just sitting back and not doing anything thinking that time heals all wounds time does not heal all wounds you yeah. have got mm-hmm. to put in the work and so yeah. um getting in, and getting involved in a support system talking to a therapist or a coach um, like myself or another therapist Um, and um, and really actually putting in the work.
0: Yeah, I mean, time only heals if you take the time to heal. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, even though it can sound really intimidating or scary to go back and face, like, things that happened in your childhood, but when you do that and you recognize, like you said, in a way you were groomed or you were set up this, like it was bound to happen. I think that that can take away a lot of the guilt Mm -hmm. and shame and, and, you know, whole like woulda, coulda, shoulda aspect of this. When you come out on the other side and you recognize it and you keep saying like, how could I have not seen this? Why did I ignore the red flags? It just makes it, you know, easier to love yourself and forgive yourself and kind of move forward. So yeah,
1: you find out the abuse was not your fault, but the healing that is 100% your responsibility.
2: Good point. Yeah. Especially when you have kids, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to pass that
1: on. That well, and, and, and if you have kids, what, you know, one of the things that I work on with people is is bringing meaning to everything that they've been through because quite often people start to grieve. Like I just wasted 20 years of my life or 15 years of my life and they mm-hmm. feel terrible about that. And I bring them to the point that it, you know, especially if I have kids, if you went through all that and then you break that, that, um, that generational trauma in your kids then what you went through was worth it that they don't have to yeah. go through yeah. that same experience that you validate their feelings and um, they you know they can now live a healthy life then it makes that makes that process easier yeah yeah
0: thank you so much uh, Matthew for coming on and speaking with us like I I just know this is gonna be so valuable to our listeners to anyone who isn't already following you to be able to follow and connect and listen to your podcast I'm gonna put um, links to everything in the show notes but can you just let our listeners know like what's the best way to connect with you and um, are you still are you still working then as as a therapist yeah, you are still technically, technically, taking I'm, clients. Oh yeah, I'm
1: always, that's, that's what I do full-time. So yeah, uh, I'm always okay. taking clients. Um, MattPyferCoaching.com is my website. Um, and uh, if you follow me on any social media, if you go to the link in my bio, you'll, you can find and see all of my social media networks. Um, I have, um, my podcast is in there. Um, it's on Spotify, it's on the Apple Podcasts, Pandora Radio. So it's on all major podcast platforms, um, and that—that's YouTube. Um, so the video version of my podcast is on YouTube as well. So um, pretty much on
0: I think that's the only place I may not be following you yet. So I'll, I'll add that. i <laughs> will add YouTube
1: to the arsenal. There's going to be some new content coming out on YouTube pretty soon.
0: Okay, looking forward to it. Thank you again. You're welcome.
1: Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Bye.